Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Romans chapter 8, that's a powerful scripture. It's one of those scriptures that you can read and basically it's enough said. What more do you say? Nothing can separate us from the love of of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Turn to John chapter 9, if you would. John chapter 9. We've got three weeks left in our current series, Belong, Believe, Become. And for those of you who are doing the quick math in your head, okay, we got three weeks left, but we're only in John chapter 9, we're only going to make it like halfway through the book. What's that about? Uh, we are going to conclude our current series in three weeks, but our Easter series is going to go through the rest of the Gospel of John because we're going to get into the Easter story in the Gospel of John. Sound good? So we are going to make it through the book, but we're going to do it over two series, Belong, Believe, Become, and then our Easter series. Uh, we're talking about the deep longings of the human heart, a place to belong, a truth to believe, and the courage to become. What? Do you feel like saying that at the end of that tagline? We, we came up with this tagline uh, with our staff team thinking that, you know, it really communicates the big core three values that we, we really want to preach through this series. A place to belong. Everybody needs that. A truth to believe. How do you make it through life without one? And then the courage to become. It kind of leaves you on a, on a, on a, on a cliff hang, doesn't it? Like, isn't there a blank there? The, the courage to become what? What are we talking about? What, what do you need courage to become in your own life? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? What does that look like for my neighbor down the street? The courage to become. I'm excited to get really practical over the next three weeks. And that's, that's not to say that belonging and believing are not practical. I really appreciate Steve's grammar lesson from last Sunday when he got into the fact that believing, pistos, is an action word, a verb. It means we've got to do something with our faith. It's not enough to say, okay, I found my place, I believe in my truth, check, check, move on. That's not how it works. These things are so interrelated and connected. I hope you understand this is not a linear progression. Step one, step two, step three, and then you're there. Joe Christian, wow, good for you. No, we, we keep coming back to community and a place to belong, don't we? We keep coming back to the truth to believe. We keep coming back to the courage to become. What do these things look like in our life? It's not checkboxes and then we move on. I hope you understand that in your discipleship. You belong, truth to believe, and the courage to become. It's really hard to have courage to become if you don't first have a truth to believe, isn't it? And, and it's hard to have the courage to become if you don't have a place to belong. If you don't have people on your side supporting you, encouraging you, holding you accountable, keeping your eyes focused, if you don't have that truth to guide your way, it's really hard to do any of these things totally separate from one another. 
They've really got to work together. So we're talking about the courage to become. Let me break down the next three weeks for you, okay? I'll give it to you right here. In case for some reason you're going away on March break and you won't be here, I don't know, maybe. But here's the three things we're going to talk about over the next three weeks. I'll give it to you. Firstly, so many people are going through this life without purpose, without mission, without direction. Just going blind. They can't see what they're becoming. That's what we're going to talk about today. Secondly, who you're becoming is directly related to who you're following. So the question is, who are you following? That's next week. And then finally, Jesus is calling you out of the grave and into his mission and purpose for your life. So the question is, are you going to answer the call? That's what we're talking about over the next three weeks when it comes to this courage to become. I want to start by doing something today that I don't know that I've ever done before. I want to read the whole passage first. Does that sound good? All of John chapter 9. Are you up for that? I think it's like 42 verses. So here's why. It's a really good story. It keeps moving pretty fast paced. The chapter isn't terribly long. But there's a really key point at the end that's the key to our understanding and application of the whole chapter. Okay? Do I have you now? John chapter 9. Let's go through it. I'm going to try really hard to not preach on the first time reading through, okay? Don't let me stop. Don't let me hesitate. John 9 and verse 1. Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is. Others said, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered them. The man called Jesus made mud. He put on my eyes and he said to me, go to to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. 
His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You've seen him. Sorry, I almost preached there. Let's keep going. (laughs) You've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. That those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage of scripture. Beautiful story. Jesus, I thank you that you opened the eyes of this blind man. God, would you open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to receive your truth this morning. Thank you for your word, God. In it, we rest and rely and build our foundation today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's the key. It's not really about physical blindness. It's about spiritual blindness. Jesus performed this sign miracle on the Sabbath, Bending down and making mud and putting it on his eyes to grab the attention of the religious leaders to show them that they were more blind than this man who was born blind. Are we also blind? They're so blind they miss the miracle. They're trying to figure out how it doesn't fit in their rules. Jesus says in Matthew 15, Jesus says they're blind guides, the blind leading the blind, and then they both fall into a ditch. Here's the key of this passage. It's that every one of us comes into this world spiritually blind. So many are stuck in blind religion. We can't see the truth of who we are or who God is calling us to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, I just want to read a number of verses for you. In their case, 
The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. You know the devil's a liar? You know the Bible calls him a deceiver? He gives this persona of this angel of light, but he's just full of deception. You know who else is full of deception? Magicians. They try and get your focus up here where the real trick happens down here. And as long as they have your focus, they can do that trick without you seeing. That's, that's the devil's tactic. He wants to deceive you. He wants to do it without you seeing. He wants to blind your eyes lest the light of Christ light up and show you the truth. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 11. But whoever hates his brother, here's how it works. Whoever hates his brother... Look up here, look up here. Is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes because he's so mad at his brother he can't see the truth of where to go. Spiritual blindness. Think of Paul. Back when he was Saul, he's on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, right? He's going to get some more Christians. He's got letters to throw them into prison. And who does he meet on the road to Damascus? Jesus. And what happens? This bright light. Paul's blinded for three days. He can't see. He's got to be led by the hand like a little child, the passage says. I love that. And Jesus says to him, Paul recounts this later on in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. Jesus is sending him to the Gentiles, verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There are so many beautiful layers to this illustration of blindness, but the big point is, if you can't see it, you can't do anything about it. If you don't see your sin, you don't see your need for a savior. If you can't see the truth about your life, you're likely not going to see the truth about your future. If you can't see who you are, you can't see who you're becoming. All right, let's go back to the start. and Let's go through just a little slower. I want to point out some key things. Back to verse 1, John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus saw a man blind. Jesus saw the man who couldn't see. See, saw. Jesus sees you when you can't see yourself. Jesus saw you before you were born. Jesus sought you when you couldn't seek him. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Why are we lost? Because none of us can find our own way to God. We were stuck. Isn't that a beautiful thought? When you couldn't see the forest for the trees, Jesus came through the trees to find you, to carry you back on his shoulders. When you couldn't see how you're going to make it through, Jesus saw you. Jesus knew you. Jesus loved you. And when you turn to him, he will save you and change the course of your life. 
Jesus saw the man born blind. Look at verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This was common understanding. This man is facing an ailment. Obviously, it's because of the curse of sin, but we're thinking it's because of his personal sin or maybe it's passed down from his parents. Jesus answered, it it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Aren't Jesus' words so comforting? This man isn't stuck where he is because he's a victim of someone else's sinful acts just left to rot there in his blindness. He's positioned where God is able to use him. God's about to display his glory through this man's life. Did you know that God has a plan for your life? Did you know that the brokenness, dysfunction, maybe disability in our lives, it may be that that's what he utilizes for his glory and his strength. He often utilizes those broken things we try to hide, the dysfunction, the struggle that we allow to block God's call in our life, be the roadblock. It's a shame that this man is suffering without the use of his eyes, but Jesus says, This is how God is going to display his work in this man's life. So think about your struggle. Think about the thing that seems to hold you back, the addiction, the frustration, the the disability, the dysfunction. What is it for you? What if Jesus is saying to you, this thing right here that you try and hide, keep in the closet, don't want people to know, don't want to open up about, hope that the pastor doesn't point out. Maybe This is the thing that I am going to use to display my glory through your life. And that has a huge effect on your calling and your purpose and your mission, your engaging in the building of the kingdom of God. Maybe it's through your dysfunction, through your struggle. Where is God going to work in your life? Look at verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. We must work. Everybody say, we must work. work. There's a we and there's a work. And this says two things. Number one, we. Jesus is going to work with you. Because this is Jesus' words. They're in red in my Bible. We must work. Jesus is going to work with you. Second thing, there's a work to be done. There's something to do. It's great that we found a place to belong where where people accept us and welcome us and we feel that sense of belonging like we're heard, seen, and known. And it's great that we have this truth to believe the bedrock for our lives. That's awesome. There's a work to be done. There's something to engage in. There's a mission. There's a calling. There's a purpose. And Jesus says, we must work. I'm going to do this with you. In fact, I'm going to do this through you. And it's going to be my strength that carries you. Take my yoke upon you and work with me. We must work. Why can't we work during the night? Because it's dark. You can't see. They probably didn't have iPhones that they could flick the flashlight on back then. You can't work in the dark. I have to assume torches were a lot of work and they didn't last that long and didn't cast that much light. You can't work in the dark. Have you tried? It's impossible to work when you can't see. You ever tried to read when there's not enough light? Your eyes go crossed and you get a headache? 
Have you ever had a full bladder in the middle of the night and you get up and you don't want to flick the light on and annoy your spouse so you're going to tiptoe your way through the dark because you know your room like the back of your hand and that's why your toenails destroyed because you stubbed your toe or hit your head or ran into the door because it was half open. You experienced any of that? Maybe it's like when you get up in the morning, you jump in the car, you're late for work. Ah, I don't need to scrape the windshield. I've got good defrost fans. You just have this one little clear spot. So you're, you're driving, trying to see the road. How is that? Good way to drive? Safe? Good advice? No? It's hard to work when you can't see. Sight is pretty important, but it's not about physical sight. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Last chapter, John 8, verse 12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, that's what we're going to talk about next week, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's not about physical blindness. It's about spiritual blindness. How many people are going blind through life? Don't know where they're coming from. Don't know where they're at. Don't know where they're going. We don't have a truth to believe. We don't have a place to belong. We're totally blind when it comes to our future. What happens in the end? I don't know. Where's life taking me? I don't know. What's my purpose? I don't know. Why am I here? I don't know. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Who am I supposed to be coming? What's the point? I don't know. Blind. It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? We were on a road trip down into the States, and we were following this little GPS cheap Garmin thing that suction cup to our windshield but often fell off you know the kind that could never get get it to figure out right but we're following this thing and there's this little car indicator and and it's on the pink line and it says in 500 meters stay left or bear right and you just follow this gps because we've got the destination punched in it's showing you where to go so we get to boston and i don't know anything about boston never driven in boston before in my life we're on the highway all of a sudden the highway goes into the ground And we're in this tunnel system. I don't know if we're under a river or under the city. I'm still not sure. I tried to find it on a map so I could explain it better. I still couldn't find it. And we're under the ground. You know what a GPS doesn't do? It doesn't work when you're underground. We get under there. It starts saying recalculating, 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 which is not helpful in that moment. You just tear it off the windshield and throw it in the back seat. And then all of these exit ramps are happening underground, all of these tunnels going. It seemed like there were millions of them. There was probably only three. But in the moment, and you're trying to read the signs, and they're all a blur. It's like it's a different language. And then all of a sudden, it feels like there's twice as many cars, and they're all looking at you. Why don't you know what to do? You dummy with the Nova Scotia license plates. Everybody's just staring, and you, you feel that pressure. It's really tough to go blind, isn't it? You don't know where you're going. What if I make a wrong turn? I don't know where we ended up because there was so much adrenaline in the moment. It's a core memory I'm going to have for the rest of my life. Going blind. Not a good feeling. Chances are you've been there in life. You know? You've got to make these decisions. What does God want me to do? It seems like there's all these open doors. It just seems like recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. What am I supposed to do with my life? Where do I go? Who am I becoming? John chapter 9 and verse 6. Having said these things about this blind man, how God is going to work his glory through this disability, he spit on the ground. Isn't that a gross sound? 
Jesus did that. I just want you to see that Jesus is standing here in front of these people and he turns and he hawks up, lets it fly. Jesus, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then anointed is such a a term, isn't it? Anointed. It's like Samuel's coming to anoint the next king with this horn of oil. No, Jesus has spitty mud on his hands. And he's going to rub it on the man's eyes. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Question, were the man's eyes open? Did he rub that mud right in there? Just close your eyes for a second. We do this often in church. I don't know, this is part of our Christian experience. I still see lots of eyes open. Close your eyes for a second. What if, all of a sudden, with your eyes closed, you felt something moist rub against your face? What would you think? Okay, open your eyes. I saw a lot of gross looks on a lot of faces. Did he warn the man? Did he say like, okay, now just so you know, I'm about to rub dirty spit in your eyes. Or did it just happen? What's the man like, oh, okay, what's happening? Weird thought, I don't know. Why? Why do that? Why? Uh, This is one of three instances where Jesus uses saliva for healing. There's actually a thought in this day that saliva had medicinal benefits and healing properties. And the more powerful and prominent and popular the person, the more healing properties were in their spit. If you're a prince, people want you to spit on them because they believe there's healing power in the saliva. Maybe, maybe there's something there. But why use mud? Uh, we talked about how it got the attention of the religious leaders on the Sabbath. Jesus is making this point. Some have pointed out that we were made from the dust of the earth and the breath of God. So we have the spit of God and the mud from the earth. It's like Jesus is creating vision in this man. I think that's a cool thought that has some merit. Commentator pointed it out to me. So, but this next part is almost more interesting. And I have to admit, I didn't see it for like the first 10 times I read this passage. Because when something gets so familiar to you, you almost don't, you don't see it anymore. John chapter 9 and verse 7. And then Jesus says to him, the blind man with the spitty mud on his face, go, go, <laughs> go. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. There are so many pieces to this. So many pieces to this. Okay, just, this is kind of like a commercial break. Let's just hang out in this verse here and try and figure out the picture. Jesus puts spitty mud on the blind man's eyes, and then he says, go. We played this game back in camp. Uh, I was a counselor, and there was a kid in my cabin named Ryan. And the game was, uh, one of the people in your cabin is going to be blindfolded at the far end of the soccer field. There's going to be obstacles set out in the soccer field, like chairs and logs and all kinds of dangerous stuff. And when we say go, the first person to run to the sound of their cabin's voice wins. So, (laughs) So we said go, and all of these blindfolded campers start running across this field with all of these obstacles in their way. And Ryan was just kind of 
he was nuts, I guess. He totally trusted us. So we're yelling, this way, Ryan, this way. And he's running full tilt across the field. He made it. We won. I don't know how he missed all those obstacles. But can you imagine? You can't see. You got spitty mud on your face. And then Jesus says, okay, now go. Go where? What? You know, I'm blind, right? You know, I have mud all over my face, right? Like, now I'm supposed to go? Are you, are you going to guide me? Can I get a walking stick? Can I get a rope to hang on to? Like, what, what if there are stairs? What if there are rock walls? What if there's animals? What if there's cobblestone streets and I'm tripping and I'm falling? And what if I go the wrong way? How am I supposed to know where the pool of Siloam is? Jesus says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. It's cool that Siloam means sent, doesn't it? Because Jesus is literally sending this man to the pool. The pool that he can't see. The pool that he needs guidance to get to. The pool that he's, he's never seen in his life. Go. Jesus is sending this man out on mission with a purpose, with a clear destination in mind, but he can't see it yet. Do you feel like you're there? Is that, like, is that like the cusp that a lot of people get stuck on? It's like, God, give me the courage to become something great for you in your mission, for your kingdom, for your glory, Lord. And Jesus says, okay, go here. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't see a clear path to that. I've never been there in my life. I don't see how that's going to work. I don't see the plan. I can't see the next step. I don't see how that's going to work, God. And that's where we get stuck. And that's where we need the courage. What if you can't see where Jesus is telling you to go? Remember how we talked a few weeks back? Is seeing believing? Is faith sight? Or is it more than that? I wonder how far of a walk it was for this blind man. I never thought about that before. So here's the context. Uh, we got a little image to show you up here on the screen. At the end of the previous chapter, John chapter 8, Jesus leaves the temple. So you got the temple in Jerusalem. This is an artist's rendition. Uh, you see the big temple up there. That's easy to spot, right? Jesus is leaving the temple. And then chapter 9 begins with Jesus sees the man born blind. So how far Jesus is out the temple, I don't know. Maybe it's at the door of the temple. This man tells us in the passage that he's a beggar. Begging just outside the temple was a common thing. Maybe this is just right outside the temple. And then he sends the man to the pool of Siloam. Now the pool of Siloam is at the furthest southerly point of the city. <laughs> See that pool? See the blue water at the bottom of the screen? It almost didn't fit in the picture. See it down there? Uh, if you want to go home today and you're looking for something to watch on TV on Sunday afternoon, you should go on YouTube and you should look up the archaeological dig that's happening right now from the temple down the pilgrim's way that you can see from the corner of the temple down to the pool of Siloam. They are excavating this right now. There's tunnels under the city. You can see the stones that the people walked on on this pathway from the temple to the pool. You can take a tour, a virtual tour on YouTube right now this Sunday afternoon if you'd like to. And you can see where the story unfolded. So maybe that's some homework. You can go and do that. But look how long of a walk that is. 
And Jesus says to the blind man with mud in his face, go to the other end of the city. Just walk across the city of Jerusalem. Do you think that took some faith? Do you think the man was like, hey, I heard about that story that was recorded in John chapter 5 of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda? You didn't make him go a long journey. You didn't make him drag his body halfway across. You healed him right there. I've got to walk to the bottom of the city before I'll be able to see. What a test of faith, eh? Jesus could have healed the man. He could have healed the man right here. Your your sight is restored and he could have received his sight. Why go through all these steps? Why the mud? Why the spit? Why the walk? Test of faith. He didn't need those things. It's an opportunity to call faith out of this man, to call courage out of this man. The only thing this man had to go on was Jesus' words. That's it. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus sent him. Now the question is, will he go? Will he obey even though he can't see it? Will he believe it even though he can't see it? So many of us are right here. Jesus is calling and we're hesitant to respond because we can't see it. We can't rationalize it. We don't know what the future holds. We're scared. We can't see the way. We're struggling with the courage to become because we don't exactly know what God is calling us to be. And Jesus is saying, just take a step. You can do it. Just step into your calling. I know you can't see it now, but listen to my voice. Trust my words. You see, this is where the courage to become starts, doesn't it? And this is where a lot of us get hung up. Man, we, we meet a church family that loves us. We hear a gospel message that changes our lives. But it almost turns into two checkboxes and then I'm good to sit and listen to the preacher and someday you're going to call me home, God, praise the Lord. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. There's a work to be done now. There's a purpose. There's a mission. There's a calling over your life that you've been gifted to do by the Holy Spirit power. And you're supposed to plug into the body and get evolved and reach the lost with the message of Christ. You're supposed to share the news that has changed your life. So let's go. Step out in faith. This is where it starts. We did a devotional this week on the Bible app with the Young Guys group, and there was this quote from Franklin Roosevelt on Thursday's devotional reading. It says, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is far more important than fear. So I'm going to take a step into the unknown because Jesus' call on my life is more important than the comfort that I have in this spot that I know and see. Moses dies, Joshua has to step up and lead the people into the promised land. The big city of Jericho is just across the river with its thick walls. And God says to Joshua, be strong, be very courageous. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, don't be discouraged. Why? Look at Jericho, God. 
Look at all these people that I have to lead, God. Look at the person that I have to follow as leader of the, the people. Why should I not be afraid? God says, because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I remember a story a preacher told about a man who had a son was blind. And I forget how the story started and I was trying to look it up. I couldn't find it, so I apologize. I'll paraphrase. Basically, it came down to the dad wanted the son to step out in courage and faith. And the son wanted to stick it to the dad because the dad was pushing him outside of his comfort zone. And the job had something to do with climbing a ladder and working up around the roof. And so the son said, fine, you want me to get up there and fall off and break my neck? I'm going to do it. So he goes, he's doing the job, he's fumbling around with the ladder, he's getting up to the roof and back down. It turns out, the father never left his side. The father was there, holding the ladder. The father was there, moving the door out of the way. The father was there supporting the son, even though the son couldn't see him. It's kind of like the footprints in the sand poem, isn't it? God, where were you when? Actually, I was carrying you through it. I was with you the whole time. Stepping out in faith on the word of God. This man steps out courageously in blind faith. The walk to the pool was slow and cumbersome. I have to imagine it was full of bumps and trips and bloody knees, maybe bruised ribs. But after washing his eyes in the pool, I've got to imagine he ran back up that hill. Don't you? You can see for the first time, maybe it was trippy, like, whoa, your, your balance is off. I got to imagine he ran back up there looking for Jesus. All of a sudden he could see, it was like the light bulb came on. Somebody flicked the switch and he finally knew what he had to do. Jesus saw him when he was blind. He responded in faith. Now he can see. Isn't that what happens spiritually to every one of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? The light of the world. Jesus opens our blind eyes to see the reality of the world around us. C.S. Lewis has this beautiful quote. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Have you had this moment of clarity where you've stepped out in faith for Jesus, the light of the world? It's like the light turns on. Finally, we can see. We can see the path before us. There's clarity. The blind man can see. Who are the first people to notice the change? I just want to quickly conclude the passage. John chapter 9 and verse 8. I just love this interaction. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, hey, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it's him. Others said, no, 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 it just looks like him. He kept saying, no, it's me. I am the man. So they said to him, how are your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. I do not know. Those four words are so freeing, aren't they? Can you say them with me? I do not know. (laughs) 
Do you know how many times the blind man probably had to give that answer? Why are you blind? I don't know. Which way to the temple? I don't know. But this time, it's like a statement of faith, isn't it? What, what a beautiful testimony. Look, I don't have all the answers. All I know is that I was blind. Now I can see. Jesus has changed my life. I don't know how. I don't know why Jesus has changed my life. The first people to notice the change in the blind man were the people who were closest to him. His neighbors, the people who knew him before when he was a beggar. I love this principle. It's the people you know best who are going to see the change in your life when you come to Christ. That's where the Great Commission starts, doesn't it? We don't jump to Samaria. It starts at Jerusalem. It starts in the hometown. It starts with the people in your circle of influence, the people who know you best. They're going to see the change in your life when you come to Christ. And it's the same for this man. You can see. They're going to be the ones who notice the change, the clarity, the purpose that Jesus brings, the calling, the mission he has for you, the work that he's working through you. The religious leaders really struggle to understand, though. Let me summarize the conversation. The Pharisees, who couldn't see, kept asking the man to tell the story again and again. The only reason they valued the man's opinion was because he was the one who experienced the healing from Jesus. Some of the devout Jews, however, They didn't believe the man. You've been able to see this whole time. You've just been faking it, maybe. Or maybe you just look like him. So they call his parents. I love this part. Mom and dad, is this really your son? I wonder wonder if that means he was young. Do you think? If his parents are still alive and there? Did his parents already know that he could see? Is this how they found out? Get over here. Is this your boy? They're scared to talk about Jesus in front of the religious leaders. Yeah, he's our boy, but he's old enough. Ask him. They lacked the courage. They couldn't couldn't give that response. They were fearful. So they asked the man again, tell us Jesus is a sinner. The man's like, look, I already told you. All I know is I was blind and now I could see. And then the courage of Christ comes into his words and he steps up almost like a lion and gives this incredible Holy Spirit-filled response to these Pharisaical leaders. (laughs) why do you keep asking? Do you want to follow Jesus too? It's a funny thing, isn't it? This man opened my eyes, and yet you don't know where he came from. You just feel the weight in those words, like the religious leaders are scrambling and scrambling. They don't see how it happened. And he's calling them right out. You don't know where he came from. I love how Jesus finds the man again at the end of the passage. Let's finish with these verses, 35 to 37. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He was blind when Jesus spoke to him. He didn't recognize him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And it's he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Okay, I'm going to conclude there. Uh, We're going to have some guitarists come, have some music. We're going to have a brief time of response as we pray through these verses. John chapter 9. And this time is, is really meant to focus and reflect on what it is God is saying through his word. 
We don't want to quickly run out the door and go on to the next thing or whatever the good food is up there that the Putnam's Life group has prepared for us. We're looking forward to that, yes. But we want to give the Holy Spirit some room to work in our heart and life. To really solidify the truth of what God is saying here in his word today. All right? So would you join me as we pray through these passages? We're going to start in John chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to have it up on the screen. Jesus, we want to say thank you. Jesus, thank you that you saw me when I couldn't see. You saw who I truly am before I could see it myself. Thank you, Jesus, that you found me lost in the night, lost in the woods. You carried me home. God, would you forgive me? Forgive me for making excuses for my situation. Forgive me for being stuck playing the blame game. Please, God, would you use my weaknesses for your strength? Because I know that when I am weak, you are strong. God, would you display your glorious work in my life? even if it is through my weak spots. Jesus, thank you. You are the light of the world. You bring clarity to my life. Jesus, your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. Thank you, Jesus. Because of you, I can see. God, I'm so sorry for refusing to go when you send me. I'm sorry for questioning where you're sending me. God, I'm sorry for letting fear dictate my future. Please, Holy Spirit, would you transform my life? Holy Spirit, would you give me courage? Spirit, would you make such a difference in my life that the people who know me best can't help but see? Thank you, Jesus. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Thank you, Jesus. I don't need to know all the answers. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, would you help me to be ready to do whatever you're calling me to do. Give me the courage to become today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.